everybody. Welcome to Grow Up, where we are healing the child within us while lovingly and respectfully raising the child that's in front of us. Are you ready? It's time to grow up. Hey, everybody. Oh my gosh, I'm back. Um, Yeah, no real excuse except that life got insane. Um, So busy, one thing after the next, after the next, after the next. Kept saying, oh, next week. I'll get to it when, and then it just got crazy chaos, and we were just busy. Um, August was a whirlwind. I think that's the last time I recorded. I can't really remember. Um, Family trip up north. I lost um, a friend and kind of unexpectedly, and that kind of sent me into an emotional state, and then my son's birthday and birthday party and then back to school and then easing into his first year in kindergarten and all the things that come with that. And, you know, I get really busy at back to school time with my job and illnesses. We just got through like this gauntlet of illness where my son and I were sick for close to two to three weeks and multiple trips to the doctor and antibiotics and steroids and incessant coughing that I swear if I hear one more cough, I'm going to, you know, go postal and, you know, just leave my home or something. It's just like too much. I was on sensory overload and just all the things. And in the meantime, I recorded an episode interview to do, you know, a full episode about and literally just never got around to doing the other parts. And that's the easy part. That's the quick part. And I couldn't even make time for that. Um, When I wanted to sit down and do it, I lost my voice for four days. It's just been all the things. And what it made me do is kind of get really clear about what pieces in my life were of the utmost importance and priority And what things were, you know, more of a luxury or more of an add-on that I could put on pause for a while. So the universe has a funny way of doing that, right? Where it just really gives you the lessons that you need. And it has impacted the way I approach things with myself and the grace that I offer myself. And then in turn, those in my life, you know, with my partner and my son. So it's been weirdly freeing and insightful to kind of let some balls drop of all these balls I felt like I was juggling. Um, But yeah, I think I kind of have found a different path, um, a different way to show up for myself. Um, I had someone explain recently to me that um, I don't know if you ever have gone to see like a performance where there was like someone spinning plates, you know, where they have like the big tall, it's like a stick or something and they have all these plates spinning and you're trying to balance them. And and they were saying how like you're spinning a bunch of plates and that's all your your list of priorities and to-dos. And some of them are paper and some of them are plastic and some of them are, you know, ceramic and some are more durable than others and some are fine china and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, made out of all these different, you know, things that 
would be more or less fragile. And in a way, it kind of visually helps you realize what are the top priority in terms of what you're allowed to drop, what you're letting yourself drop, and things that you have to protect at all costs, which would be more like your fine china. And so it kind of made me get really clear, even though making episodes for this podcast and getting on the platform on Instagram is one of the things that fills my cup the most in terms of passion and and drive and things that I want to do, it, it didn't always take the cake in terms of the amount of capacity I had to do the things that were the fine china. So definitely learning how to, you know, honor myself, honor my capacity, honor the capacity of those who are important to me in my life and what they're needing um, and try to do it all and show up the best I can for, you know, everyone involved. And it's just a constant balancing act. It's a constant checking in. And I just appreciate you all so much for being here and still being supportive and still being engaged on the Instagram platform. And um, I just really, truly could not be happier to be back recording right now and sharing this upcoming episode with you all. It reminds me, which like speaks to me growing up, you know, my adolescence in the 90s. It reminds me of an Aladdin (laughs) where they like rub the lamp and the genie flies out and he's like, you know, feels good to be back or whatever like that. I feel like I'm like the genie at the moment. I'm like finally, you know, exiting the lamp after years trapped in because I've been meaning to do this. I've been meaning to sit down and record and it just felt like hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being patient. And I'm just so excited. And again, I'm kind of approaching it now with like a new insight, a new framework of the way that the universe has gifted me the ability to drop demands and to be reasonable and compassionate with myself while I'm doing so. And that definitely leads me to who I have on the show um, today or on the podcast today. Um, I interviewed Amanda Diekman and she's from an account on Instagram called Low Demand Amanda. And she has three children who have, you know, a kind of a, a melting pot of neurodivergence. And I found her kind of through that framework, you know, being that my son is also neurodivergent. And I am realizing now that with pretty good confidence that I as well am on a neurodivergent spectrum. And um, finding her account was kind of just to find other people, you know, in our same boat. And then in the meantime, finding this low demand, quote unquote, lifestyle, not only for my family, but also for myself. And the second I found her account, it's one of those ones that you just instantly are like, oh, gold, like jackpot, um, and resonating so deeply with right from the get-go. So in the last couple of months, it's one that I've been really tuning into, devouring the content from. And then when she agreed to come on for an interview, I was just elated. So I have that interview to run. Um, and it's it might be new for a lot of people. I mean, this might be something that feels radical, sounds radical, um, 
but I definitely encourage everybody to approach it with an open mind and approach it with a way that even if you can, you know, incorporate one little thing or one different mindset shift, that would be incredible. That being said, um, now that the podcast is rolling again, if you feel so inclined, I would love it if you could share this episode, if you could share it with people that you think would resonate from it, if you could share it on social media, that would be fantastic. Give it a rating, um, all that good stuff, because, um, yeah, I just want to get this out there. So without further ado, I'm going to play this, this episode, um, this interview with Amanda, and I would love to hear your feedback. Um, how it lands for you. Because again, I know this low demand approach can feel really nerve wracking. It can feel really foreign when we, a lot of us have grown up feeling like our job as parents is to kind of do the opposite of that. So uh, yeah, check it out. Let me know how it lands. See you on the other side. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the podcast. Um, Everybody, we have Amanda Diekman on with us today. And her account on Instagram is at low demand Amanda. And I am so excited to bring this episode to you. This is, um, I feel like I've like done some like deep spelunking in a cave for like the last like month of this whole topic that we're going to discuss today. And it's something that is just really resonating for me, not only with my son, but also with reparenting myself and um, kind of allowing space and trusting the process and all these kind of things, especially when, you know, parenting a neurodivergent child. And um, so, yeah, I, I found Amanda's account on Instagram a couple months ago. So I'm kind of a new follower, I guess. But because this has really become just such a focus for me in the last month or so, I feel like I have been living, you know, on Amanda's page like it is the Bible and following <laughs> along. Um, I know usually Amanda posts posts like um like a day in the life kind of like little stories on Instagram. And I'm just like following along just soaking it all in. So I feel just so excited to share her message with everybody. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to turn it over to you. Do you want to just give us like a little bit of a background on who you are, like what you, what your passions are in this work or anything about your family you feel like sharing? Absolutely. I'm so glad to be here and, um, to be with you. Um, this is a real treat. I'm Amanda. I am, um, live in North Carolina. I live in an intentional community where we center our disabled neighbors and build community around them. And so um, joining you from the North Street community here in Durham, North Carolina, I am um, a mom of three neurodivergent children, um, all currently identifying as boys. And um, they are 10, 8, and 6. Our family swims in um, various diagnoses. We are, have lots of complexity and identifiers. I prefer to think of it as an identification process um, that we are born as we are and that as we grow and learn, we get names for things that were already always there. So we have autism, we have pathological demand avoidance, which is a sub profile of autism. We have ADHD, learning disabilities, Tourette's, we have anxiety disorders, depression, 
um, kind of the full spectrum of ways that brains can move divergently in the world. Uh, I am autistic myself, late identified just in uh, the last year, which has been very transformative for my life. And I feel like I finally found the family that I've always been looking for. And the part of me that has been wanting to erupt into the world and that I've kept in a little cage is suddenly like the whole of me. And that feels amazing. Uh, and then getting to express this part of myself and um, especially in my, in my parenting through the low demand approach, which is what we have learned as a family um, is the central way that we want to show up it, um, and then beginning to spread the word about it to the wider world. And uh, I just, I love it. I love breaking the mold. And seeing the boxes just shred as people discover, wait, I can do that. Um, I feel like I'm a permission giver and a freedom, uh, freedom fighter for our children that they deserve um, a kind of childhood that is truly respected and um, where their autonomy is a, a central part of the family culture. And so that's what we've made. And that's what I'm hoping to share with the world. Oh, I just like, feel like that just needs like a moment of silence. <laughs> I feel like, which I, I don't get very often or easily, <laughs> but I feel like, yeah, that was just like, drop the mic on that whole, um, that whole framework. You just, you just said, I think it's so interesting. Um, a lot of those, um, those, you know, different diagnoses I had, I knew just from following you, but some of them I didn't know. So that's really fascinating to hear how much, you know, is going on in your household, like how many, and I love the way you phrased it. Um, and I love like just the way you approach the diagnosis too. like, um, what did you call it again? It was identification, identification, right. I was going to say affirmation. I'm like, no, that's not right. Identification. I love that because and, and being as someone who through, through finding out about myself because of my neurodivergent son, I'm like, that's so it, because when you go your whole life and you don't, you don't have words for these things. And I know a lot of people say, what, you know, why do you need the diagnosis? What does it change anything? It doesn't, but, but there is this like identification process that you feel like I can put on the right set of glasses, the right prescription and see this person for who they already are. Does it change how you, you know, how you are or what you need, but you get this clearer, it's like just seeing someone in 3d. I feel like, I don't know. It, it, it sounds kind of, maybe it's hard to wrap your head around it, but when you're saying that to me, I'm like, oh my God, that just resonates so deeply that like you already who are, who you are. This is just helping you kind of get that clarification and get the, the proper support that would best, you know, help how you are. And, um, and like you said, I love the simplicity of what you kind of boil it all down to when it's such a complex issue. But like you said, just differences in the brain, that's mm -hmm. all it is. And it's like, I think sometimes people get really, I don't know, in our society, there is that fear of being outside the box. There's like that fear of like, but what if my kid has this and what it just feels so heavy. Mm -hmm. And then when you're in it, you're like, okay, my kid's still awesome. My kid's still my kid. My kid's still, you know, all the things. 
and they have this brain difference or nervous system difference or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, oh, it just, it feels so much more palatable. Hearing you say that feels so like, oh, like the light bulb just went on. Like, just like, okay, yeah. So what, you know, big deal. It's like, you know, this person's like this and this person's like that. And that's what it should be like. And I just love having these conversations because I think, especially if you're not in this world, if you're not actively, you know, parenting a neurodivergent child, or you're not neurodivergent yourself, it can feel kind of foreign. It feels maybe like a different language or like a big, scary elephant in the room when it's not, it's just, it's like a, you know, just a different software, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I know we were going to dive into this low demand parenting lifestyle, which I'm realizing that we've been doing in my household for quite some time. So to me, I just feel like it's called parenting. No, <laughs> <laughs> so in the general sense for most people out there, um, I was raised in the the nineties and um, for a lot of us that were raised in the nineties, this wasn't the norm. So I am very excited to dive in. So do you want to kind of give a, a background on what demand low, I'm sorry, low demand parenting is, or, you know, maybe what it looks like in an example um, who it's for, just like anything that you want to share about that before we get really rolling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my definition of low demand parenting is reducing expectations in order to meet our children with radically accepting grace and understanding mm. It's reducing expectations. Yes. That's kind of the mechanism, but what's it for? What does it do? It, it it creates the possibility of meeting our children, of truly encountering them as they are. And what we have to offer as the parents in that meeting is radically accepting grace and understanding. Mm. And I think that that is what our kids need from us as their parents. They need radical acceptance they need grace, which to me is the kind of love that lets people off the hook and says, you're okay, just the way you are. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be always getting better. You don't have to be proving anything. You don't have to be the best version of yourself. You can just be who you are and understanding, which says, no matter how you show up, I'm going to be here and I'm going to stay with you. Mm-hmm. And so that's what reducing expectations does. And in practice, the low demand approach is really about seeing and respecting and loving the children that we have, no matter how they are. Mm. Um, That's what I think is the definition of good parenting is, is really seeing and respecting and loving our children, no matter what. So when you practice the low demand approach, the way that we do it, um, it looks like, uh, having a lens for what's hard for our kids. And we have a category in our family. There's hard and there's too hard. And this is how we establish boundaries and where we create room for growth. So hard is where we show up, we use our skills, we are brave. That's what we do when things are hard. When things are too hard, we step back, we ask for help, we let go of the too hard, we accept ourselves just as we are. 
And learning that boundary between hard and too hard is the core skill of low demand parenting. And I think the core skill of life, where is that edge of what you can bravely face and what you need to step back from and say, this is, this is too much for me. And I'll say from in my own life, you mentioned um, your own kind of coming to, to know who you are. As I've come to know myself, I think my whole journey with perfectionism, which has been like a major theme of my whole life, is that I didn't know the difference between hard and too hard. Mm. I didn't know where I needed to show up and be really brave and where I needed to say, this is too much for me. Cause I never, ever said it's too much for me. I always said I can do it. Mm. And I don't want that for my children. I want them to know that it is okay to say, this is too much. I need help. I would like not to take this test today because I'm having a panic attack and I can't hold my pencil without it shaking, you know, to take an example from my own life that I did not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I'll say too, that we got here. And I think a lot of people arrive at the low demand approach because nothing else worked. And that is how we got here. And I think part of the reason I want to spread the word about it is that it does not have to be a last resort. It does not have to be the final stop. Mm-hmm. I wish that we had hopped on this train long before we tried out a lot of other parenting strategies that worked a lot less well for us and were a lot less um <laughs> beautiful to practice. They were hard. It was hard doing a consequences and reward style oh. parenting, which we were coached very aggressively to do. Mm-hmm. That was hard. And this is not hard. <laughs> this style of parenting is joyful mm-hmm. and freeing and exciting. And the great thing about recognizing hard and too hard is that that's true for me too. So when I'm parenting and it's too hard for me, I get to say, this is too much for me. I'm overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Overwhelmed was one of my now six-year-old's first words. (laughs) (laughs) Overwhelmed, overwhelmed. Um, Because it was such an important, I mean, we had a really chaotic household at that time and he needed that word to, to name what it was like to be in a family of three neurodivergent boys. (laughs) Um, So when we're overwhelmed, when I'm overwhelmed, I get to say, this is too much. And I'm seeing parents all around me who cannot say, who do not have a category in their parenting for this is too much for me. And so instead there's this pushing through, there's cracking and breaking happening because there's no softening. There's no room for, for asking for help. And so the low demand approach isn't just for our kids who are struggling. It's for the parents who are struggling too. And I mean, if you're a parent in 2022, you're struggling. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, and not only is it like a new thing, it's something I mean, let's, let's even just lie for a minute and say our lives were perfect before 2020, but even if they weren't, which obviously a lot of us have been carrying baggage or, you know, stuff on before long before then, but yeah, I mean, anyone who's made it through the pandemic 
I don't even think there's been time to really sit and grieve every, every single thing that we've seen and gone through, to be honest. And so, yeah, we're all struggling, you know, kids are struggling. And as the caregivers of these children, we are taking on those struggles too. So yeah, that's a huge, a huge validating point that brings us all together. And, um, when you were talking, it's so interesting because as you're speaking, I'm going like, just my insides feel like, I feel like I'm wrapping myself in a blanket. (laughs) It feels like, oh, like it feels like an exhale. It feels like, I mean, basically what that means to me is my inner child is like feeling very held, which speaks to a lot of this work as well. Cause like you said, it's not just for your children. It's something about it is very, I guess I'll say the word redemptive for your, for your inner self that maybe needed that grace and that space and that respect and that collaboration, which mm-hmm. I think is another huge part, in my opinion, of low demand parenting is absolutely you know, like that democracy and that, like not having that power over, but having, let's figure this out together. What are you needing? What am I needing? I feel like I'm constantly weighing the cost and like, how much is this going to take out of our energy bank? And what is this going to do to us? Not only my son, but myself, like you said, like, what is too hard? What is too much? Um, and when to back down. And it's so interesting because like in, in this work so often, especially more towards the beginning, and I still, this still happens, but really strongly at the beginning, I felt like I could almost like hear old, you know, authoritarian style, you know, rules and like punitive BS from my past. Oh, you're just going to let him get away with that. Oh, you're gonna, you know, um, like if if you drop it this time, they're going to learn that, you know, you're, you're not serious or you're not tough enough on them. How are they going to learn respect? How are they, you know, things like this. And it's so interesting because I think another huge pillar and this is again, in my opinion of low demand is trust is trusting yourself, trusting your kid that I can honor you. And you are going to get these lessons because I believe in your goodness. Yes. Believe in respecting you teaches you respect. You know, I'm not going to bully you into respect and all that's doing for your child later in life is teaching them that when they're in you know, a boardroom or when they're at a frat party or when they're in a relationship, you don't lead with power, (laughs) you know? And isn't that just like, God, if we could just rewind time and, you know, start over sometimes in this country, the culture, and just teach people that it's not about bullying. It's not about my opinions more important than yours, or my needs are more important than yours. Like, where did we get so far off from collaboration and why is it looked at as weakness? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just think not only is this just such a beautiful style of parenting, like you said, there really is beauty and space to let everyone be autonomously themselves. And then your child sees you putting in boundaries that respect them and respect yourself. Even my mom will say things to me, like, you know, my son just turned five in August and she'll say, I love that he's so confident. Like, he'll just tell me that he doesn't want that or that, you know, you know, he doesn't want to go to, he wants to go home. He doesn't want to stay at grandma's house or 
whatever. And it's like, I mean, yes, I'm going to attribute, you know, we're going to go 50, 50 on this. My son is a force. Like there is no, <laughs> like good luck if you want him to try not to tell you the truth. But also that being said, he's been growing up for five years in a house that when he said enough, we said, okay. And mm-hmm. we said, you know, how is this feeling for you? What are you needing right now? Um, and I'm going to, I mean, he was like that as an infant, it was like, no, my son, you know, we need to leave this party right now. And he was just a baby and everyone's like, oh, come on. He'll sleep in the car. Oh, put him down in the pack and play. No, this doesn't work for him. And, you know, we're all going to reap the, the repercussions of this later on. Um, but he's grown up in a house that has let him, he has freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. He can tell me exactly how he feels. And I'll have people say, oh gosh, like, you know, you should tell him that hurts your feelings. And I, and I'm like, my feelings are my responsibility. And he's going to learn, he's going to learn socialization. He's going to go outside of the house. He's going to say that same thing to someone who's not going to like it. And he's going to learn where it's appropriate outside of his home. But I refuse to make his home a place where he needs to walk on eggshells. Because my emotions and the things that he says that trigger me are my responsibility. And yes, are, are there better deliveries? Absolutely. But is he also five years old? Also, yes. So do I trust the process that my child being a smart, loving, kind human who does love me and doesn't mean those words that he's saying when he's angry, because I, I feel like I hold him in his highest self. I'm always holding him at that standard of like, he'll say something to me. What did he say the other night? He said, oh my gosh, this one, this one's pretty shocking to anyone who would be like, what? But to me, it was just, you know, a regular Tuesday. He said something like, I want daddy to live forever. Him and my husband are best friends. I want daddy to live forever. And I want you to hurry up and grow because then you can just die. And it can just be me and daddy. And anyone else who's hearing this right now is probably like, oh my God, say, what did he say? You know? But my, and so I reframed it for him. I said, I know you just really love your time with daddy, you know, cause what he's saying really is, I just want to be with my dad. You know, like I love my dad and I'll say, I love your dad too. He's such a cool guy. Isn't he? He's a really great guy. And then I'll, and I remember saying to him, I know, I know that you don't really mean that. I know that you want me to live and I know that you love me. And that's all I said to him. And then it was probably five minutes later. And he said, um, mommy, I love you too. Or something like that. Like he sat on it and was like, Mm. like I, as the 30, almost 36 year old adult was able to paraphrase for him and let his five-year-old brain say what he needed to say to me. That didn't feel good. Yeah. I don't want to hear my kid telling me that I should hurry up and, and, you know, kick the bucket so he could just carry on with my husband. But I also hold him in this space of not controlling his speech, hearing the feelings behind what's driving that speech and knowing deep down inside that he loves me. This isn't, this isn't affecting me. I can, I can look at him and say, I still love you. No matter what you do, no matter what you say to me, you're a good person. I know that you don't mean that. I know that this is just a mood that you're in. And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with this approach, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It, um, I want to name the way that it evolves for people who are hearing this and thinking, I mean, I want that, but right now 
I am at four o'clock every day sending my kids to their room because I can't stand to hear them fight over Legos anymore. And then, you know, I dread bedtime because they won't go to bed and I end up, you know, saying, well, you're going to lose TV time tomorrow if you don't turn out the light and go to bed. And that's where so many people are. And I think the idea of, of being able to have this kind of open and, and honest and respectful conversation with your child feels kind of impossible sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, or like anarchy, like what's going to happen if, you know, like, you know, going to let them do whatever. We're just going to let them say that you're just going to let them eat, you know, whatever they want. Like everyone just like, I guess it feels so out of control that instinctually because of the way we were raised, we want to get more control. Right. It's like, oh, I have to be in charge of this or otherwise all hell's going to break loose. Exactly. Yeah. So I have a couple of thoughts about how this style of parenting is not what we're afraid that it is, which when people say it's permissive, I don't think they really know what the word permissive even means. It just means something bad, something bad where the parent is no longer in control and the child is now in control of the relationship. Mm -hmm. And the fear, if the child is in control of the relationship, then that means that a five-year-old brain is kind of running the family. And um, that's what people think will happen if they truly listen to what their kids are saying and respect that for them, it's true. Mm -hmm. And that for them, it is everything. Um, So let's take an example, like your child says, I need a popsicle. Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, we don't eat popsicles before dinner. Mm. No, I need a popsicle. Mm -hmm. And then they start to melt down. And so in that moment, the parent is thinking, well, this is about control, right? I need to stay in control because the child is testing me. They're testing. They know we don't have popsicles before dinner. Mm -hmm. And so they're testing me to see whether or not I'm going to stay firm, but I'm going to stay firm and say, no, we can't have anything before dinner. And that's what's going on from the parent's perspective perspective. They need a popsicle. Mm -hmm. Because they need something cold in their mouth because they're thirsty, because it tastes wonderful, because they're hungry, whatever the reason is, they need a popsicle is their solution to their problem and they need it. And what they're learning is my parent doesn't care what I need. My -hmm. parent is going to stay firm no matter what I say. And so Mm -hmm. I will give up. So it works. The child often gives up or in the case of our kids, they never give up and they lose their ever loving minds. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. but for most kids, they, they back down and, um, and they, and they stop bringing those needs before their parents. Sure. So in order to go from that dynamic to another one, I thought I I really want to lay this out clearly for people. I want to tell them what the steps are. So to, to figure out well, what else do I do in that moment? If it's not, let's just, let's just guess that maybe it's not about control. Okay. Maybe it's not about testing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not about who's driving the family. Maybe it's all about relationship. Maybe it's all about trust. It's a hundred percent about how much does this tiny human trust me to be for them 
and on their side and mm-hmm. with them do no matter what, right? How much do I trust this little person to tell me the truth, mm-hmm. to be a engaged member of not, not to shut down or yep. to run away from me? And how much do I trust them that they know what's best for them? Yep. That's what is at stake in the popsicle. What I, I hear you talk about that. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, yeah, big deal. They shouldn't have popsicle before dinner. Like I'm, I'm, I'm already hearing like that in my head, like the kickback of like, okay, big deal. It's a popsicle. You're right. It's probably not a big deal. It's just a popsicle, right? This is like us as, us as adults, we're like, okay, get over it. It's a popsicle. That's what we're thinking. Or some of us are thinking, but we're talking short game versus long game, right? Mm-hmm. So short game is you don't need the popsicle. I said, no, double down. I'm in charge here. You're not, you're not going to run the show. You can't control me. And it triggers something in us. Be the parent, step up, be firm. Don't bend. Um, I know that they're fine. They don't need that. Dinner's going to be done in five minutes. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But like you just, you just spoke to, this is, it's like an example that then when they're eight, they're not telling you about, you know, a friend at school that said something mean to them Mm -hmm. because you're not validating feelings. Does that make sense? And I know like, it sounds like a big stretch. I know there's a mini little, lots of, um, you know, little nuances in there. But to me, like when I'm thinking about that, when you say that, you can't expect the same kid that gets shut down over, let's say I'm going to use my son as like freedom of speech. Like I just said that I'm policing the words he says to also then be the 14 year old boy who comes home from school and tells me what's going on in his life. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't have it both ways. And it's something that has to almost be radical to establish that wing person, that safety that trust of, I'm not afraid to share the raw truth because I know that even if this is scary sounding to my mom, she always is going to listen to me and my point of view. Mm-hmm. I think like that to me is like when you're talking about the popsicle, like, I mean, the popsicle is just like fluffy. Like that's like, just like a, a like a, it could be anything, you know, it, it, but the, the message that no one cares what I need in this house. No one cares why I asked for that. Like, like you said, I mean, all of us have had those moments where we're like so thirsty and you're just like, oh my God, like, I mean, how many times have I pulled into the 7-Eleven, I'm in Michigan and grabbed a Slurpee just because I'm like, it's hot out and it sounds good. It's a slushy, you know? I mean, why can't a kid feel that way? And why am I so committed to being the boss that I'm not willing to listen to them. And could you come up with a middle ground? Okay. So maybe it's the sugar. Maybe you're like, you know what? You've already had six popsicles today. I just don't feel comfortable giving you another one. Okay. That's valid. Then you could say to your kid, you know, I, I don't think I can let you have the popsicle, but let's come up with something else. Is, the, is there something else in the fridge that sounds good? You know, how about another snack of something that's cold and crunchy? Would you like, you know, some cucumber sticks? Would you like, you know, and that's not as exciting, but the point is like, it's the collaboration element, right? I mean, that to me is kind of like, you're getting to the why of the ask. And maybe, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously like you, this is your, you're the coach here and I want to know, but like, <laughs> yeah. to me, it's like, it feels like, again, like the invalidation is the bigger message here, right? 
Right. I mean, admittedly, we're all in on this. So um, (laughs) there are a lot of ways to practice. I think that low demand is a tool Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't want for anyone to look at it like you have to be all the way in the deep end or you shouldn't even try. You can always try dropping a demand and see Mm -hmm. how it goes. You can always try saying yes when you want to say no, just to prove you're in control. You can always try saying yes and see whether or not the floor drops out underneath you. (laughs) I think it probably won't. Um, And, and yet, so from my perspective and where I stand, Mm -hmm. I would say is the popsicle and the sugar and the popsicle, your top priority with Mm -hmm. this child. Is Mm -hmm. this the number one thing? Are you ultimately concerned about sugar in their body? If you are, then this is the right moment to use collaboration, Mm -hmm. to push them to use this really difficult skill set, no matter how old they are. It is very hard for us to think flexibly in the moment when we're already craving the popsicle. Um. If it is not, then say yes to the popsicle and save that push for the stuff that really matters because our nervous systems can only handle so many stretches Mm. in a day. And some nervous systems can handle a lot less than others. Oh, yes. So you need to be attuned to what your child can handle. That's that hard and too hard that is different for every person and why the the low demand is an approach and not a set of prescriptions of like, this is what it looks like to be a low demand parent. Not at all. It's about an approach. It's looking at your child and saying, can they handle this? No, right now. Mm. And if they can't, if they're going to flip out to me, that is a sign that it is too hard because the baseline philosophy about what kids can handle and what they can't is that kids do well when they can, which comes from Dr. Ross Green's explosive child, which has been tested and retested uh, in the field as like gold standard. Yes, It, It is kids don't do well when they want to. It's not a matter of, of willpower that we have to raise kids who have the willpower to withstand the popsicle before dinner. That's not it. Mm. If they could wait until dinner, they would, because they already know that that's the expectation in your family. Even if you, even if you're dealing with a two-year-old, they already know. It's because it is their survival depends on knowing what you expect of them. I just want to get a megaphone and like scream everything you just said from the rooftop. <laughs> um, because you're right. It's not won't, it's can't. Because why like I mean, yeah, why wouldn't you? You know, like I it's just the logic behind it, again, so simple, so profound. I mean, um I just feel like that. I mean, yeah, you nailed that one. I think you're right. It's like there's a reason why. And if they're going to die on this hill, it's that deep. And I know for myself, it's interesting. We're talking about nervous systems. Like even today, like I just woke up and you know, those days where you're like, I'm fragile today. Like I am feeling, and this is an interesting point too, because sometimes maybe the kid's going to melt down about this popsicle or whatever. And I can't handle it. Mm -hmm. Speaking as a mom who feels very burnt out with my nervous system from raising a sensory seeker 
who was on sensory overload all day. And I would consider myself more of a sensory sensitive. I probably was more of a seeker as a child, but I've grown to be, I'm just always taking in everything. So this morning as I woke up and I just felt it already, I was like, Ooh, okay. I need to limit demands for myself right now. And honestly, I put on soft music while I was downstairs making coffee and finishing up his lunch and no one was down there with me. It was quiet. I had on my cozy sweater. I was like, okay, I'm just easing into the morning here. And even in my, I have a morning playlist of songs that I love that are mellow, mellow, mellow. Even that I was like, nope, can't have that right now. I could, this is so wild to me because it was so clear to me this morning and I don't think I felt it this strongly. I could, I wanted sound on because that to me is almost like a, I need white noise a lot of times, like keep me going, right? So I don't like just playing quiet. That's hard for me, but like just a little something. I could not have lyrics. Mm. Words were too much. It felt like a demand. I don't know why, because no one was demanding anything from me. I was literally choosing to listen to this music. I mean, I had a song on that I loved and I was like, I can't, I can't even hear this right now. It's making me mad. It was like instigating me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, and then what did I put on? There was something in between the two. I put on like something else, but it was like too aggressive. It was like, it was almost like background beats or something. And it was like mellow, but it was like the beat was too like heavy. I, and I ended up with piano, mm-hmm. plain old piano. I just was like, ah, Okay. <laughs> Here's where I need to live right now because my nervous system, like I'm doing all these things I'm making the coffee. And and I don't think people who are not aware of sensory, like I think, you know, with you and I who have children that have sensory differences, the smell of the coffee, the sound of the brewing, the feeling of the cold floor on my feet. These are things that like, you don't even maybe think about how much sensory you experience in every moment you're experiencing something. And then I'm, I'm already tired. I've got the sound of the music with the sound of the coffee. I'm trying to, you know, wake up my brain enough to think through my son's lunch. And you know, what do I have? Is it enough protein? And what about a snack today? Like, I'm just like doing all the things. And it's just interesting. So I think not only do we have to consider all this for our children too, but it changes every day. Because yesterday I listened to music in the morning, that same playlist all day, and I loved it. And today I couldn't handle it. So this is something that I love that there's no framework because it ebbs and it flows depending on where you stand, respecting your own autonomy and your own needs of, of what is too much for you as a caregiver, maybe letting them watch 30 more minutes of screen time, if that's the hill you want to die on today is really not that big of a deal because you need 30 more minutes to prep dinner and not scream at somebody. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Your kid needs this popsicle because they are going to melt down and and dinner is going to be tanked down the tubes. It's going to wake up the baby or whatever's going on. Just give them the freaking popsicle. I mean, like, it's one of those things that you're constantly checking in. What is too much? And I love that you boil it down to that question. What is too hard? It's like where I'm like picturing, I'm very visual and I'm picturing like the classic, you know, weight, um, the scale mm-hmm. and it's like where are we balancing this out? It's going to give somewhere. So where am I going to get it from? Where am I going to give it? Where can I allow a little extra slack? Where can I sync up with my kid 
and support them or try to collaborate and stretch them a little bit. Maybe this one's just hard. Maybe it's not too hard. Maybe we're not at the threshold yet. Maybe we have a little bit of wiggle room. So I'm going to offer some carrots. I'm going to offer, you know, yes, you can have a popsicle, but let's have it with our dinner tonight instead of beforehand. Maybe there's a yes and, or maybe we're all tapped out and you just say, screw it because I don't need to be the, I don't need to be in control right now. I don't need to be the boss. I'm not going to die on this hill. I say that in my head all day, every day. I'm like, is this the hill? Is this the one today? Because we're definitely going to die on a hill today. But is this the one? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, speaking from our experience, when what we've found as a family culture, when we let go of holding all of this responsibility for, for controlling our kids, mm. um, because the way it looks for us now that we've been practicing this way for almost two years is that they don't come and ask us about a popsicle anymore because we have an eat what you want, when you want, where you want household policy. Mm -hmm. And so we stock our house with things that they like to eat and that I can support. And then they make their own choices. And that's the whole, that's the freedom that comes in parenting on the other side is that for us, we're not making these decisions in the moment when somebody is already eager for a popsicle and the rule has already been stated that we don't have one. And then you're having to negotiate through and decide, okay, what can my nervous system handle? What can his nervous system handle? Should I collaborate? That's a lot of mental yes. work. Yes. It's a really hard part of parenting that it's very exhausting. Mm -hmm. So the freedom that comes with deciding I'm going to practice radical trust here. I'm going to fully trust them to feed themselves the food that they need at the time that they need in the way that they need. Yes. Then well, you, I mean, people might be asking, well, well, then what is parenting if it's not? If it's not that, and that's, what's amazing. I get to spend so much incredible time connecting with my kids. We spend a lot of time talking about philosophy and nature of the world stuff. Mm -hmm. um, they are very reflective about the low demand approach. Mm -hmm. And someday when they want to, uh, especially my older two are also very curious about social media and eager to be famous. <laughs> and so <laughs> they, they think that, you know, I have a big platform and they're just so eager to be on it. So um, someday. I might be able to interview them because I do think that there's a lot of wisdom in hearing from these little people who've been trusted really radically for a while now mm -hmm. um, about how it's changed their outlook on the world. But it's certainly transformed the nature of our relationship because I have so much more, I have so many more resources to bring to our daily life because I'm not in these difficult moments, decision-making moments with them. We also have the family rule that we get to use our screens without shame. Mm. So we never have screen time battles because battles typically are shaming. And I get to use my screens in the ways that I want to without shame. And they get to do their own. And we focus really hard on supporting each person's chosen activity 
even if it is a screen-based activity with our whole hearts. So when somebody achieves a level or masters a game or even finds a new game that they're really excited about, we get really into that. I don't have to hold myself back from that because somehow I'm not supposed to be really excited about some like boss getting battled. No, I get to jump up and down and cheer just like if my child won a horseback riding competition or a basketball game or whatever would be a more traditional choice of activity, but no, this is what they love to do. Mm. So I feel like the freedom for me as a parent is what I want to emphasize that I am free to love what they love without being afraid that, Mm. that I'm messing them up. I know I'm not because (laughs) they're happy, wonderful (laughs) children who are thrilled to have a mom who's as excited about boss battles as they are. Well, and you're teaching them bigger lessons there. Like to me, you're teaching unconditional love. You're teaching support. You're teaching respect. You're teaching trust. Like these are big ticket, you know, things that we're like, we want our kids to feel unconditionally loved, supported, um, comfortable in their own skin, um, capable, um, all these things that we want them to feel. But if we constantly stand over them and say, not that this, not like that, put that down, come over here. That's too dangerous. We're literally telling them, you don't know yourself. You don't know your body. That's the wrong thing to say. You're hurting someone else's feelings. They're looking outside of themselves for everything. And that, even though it's well-meaning, I get it. No one's like, I'm going to do this and hurt my child. I mean, I, you know, I would hope the majority of people obviously don't feel that way, but it's still that feeling of like, I know better than you. I'm the police. Like who wants to live? Like, and I don't mean live with a police officer, not like, of course there's people with a profession, but live literally in the supervision of the police all the time. I like, at what point can you allow them to be the governing body on themselves? Yes. Like, no, I mean, and now I have my own stuff, but that is something that is a driving force behind me. Mm. Don't tell me, don't tell me I can't do that. Watch me. Don't me, don't tell me I can't do that. Like that is something that fires me up to be honest is when someone's like, you know, oh, you're not capable or, or like, it's like feeling like someone is trying to tell me like, okay, I'll give a perfect example. We're having one child. We have an only child. There's a huge stigma around only children. And of course, and there's stigmas around big families. I just think the stigma around family size is just the stupidest thing in the world. But some people will say, oh, you'll change your mind. Oh, you don't mean it. Oh, don't you think, you know, he should have a sibling. Da, 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 da. And it pisses me off because it's, it's like, Why do you think that you know what is better for me and my family than me? It is literally my choice. I don't expect you to understand it. Just like you just said, I don't understand these kids' games. I'm not necessarily a gamer, maybe, but they love it. And what would be different than if they loved gaming or soccer or gaming and dance? Why is it that some are better than others? And I think people will instantly think, oh, it's because I don't want them to be a couch potato. That's not synonymous. And I'm going to go one step further and say, the more you allow them with reckless abandon to play as many screens as they want, you will never see them get more excited about getting outside. 
right? Because I know my son, he protests brushing his teeth. Like, I mean, that is like the one thing. Like when he's struggling, he's like, I am not doing that. And listen, it's taken me a lot. And sometimes still that little voice inside creeps up and I'm just like, oh my God, like he's going to get cavities and this is going to be terrible. But I think about the goal here. The goal is that my son is a healthy um, relationship with hygiene, right? I'm not trying to like, be like, oh, I have to do this because my mom said, right. And I think like, of course, if it's health and safety, I draw a hard line, but then I think, but is this health and safety because he's not going to never brush his teeth. He's saying tonight, can I let it be tonight? Because tonight it's too much. Like for instance, he did it the night before kindergarten started that to me, I looked past all my conditioning that says, no, he's going to be the stinky breath kid. He's going to have cavities. It's going to be terrible. I have to be a parent and take care of his teeth. And I thought he is asserting control because he's anxious about starting school tomorrow. Can I allow this one this night to slide? It ended up being, I think a two or three day hiatus that he was just like, no, 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 no. And it's funny. Cause then on the fourth night, cause I still offer because in my mind, that's my job. I'm your mother. I'm here to say, Hey, here's your toothbrush. I got it ready. You doing the thing tonight. Okay. You're not. All right. And we, we usually, it's usually a discussion. It's not a fight, but it's a discussion, you know, okay. You didn't brush today. How are your teeth feeling? Yeah. You know, you didn't do it yesterday either. Are you sure you don't want to? Okay. And by like that fourth day, when I put it out there, he did it with no problems because again, it's not, won't it's can't. He was struggling with other things. And when he started to get a couple of days into kindergarten, he came home. He was feeling better about himself. He had more energy. He had more confidence. And then all of a sudden he literally just took the toothbrush and was like, fine. It was a non-issue. You would think this kid has no issues brushing his teeth. And when you start to see the patterns like that, it's like, but releasing the control of like, when I told him he didn't have to brush his teeth the first time I ever did that, I was like, oh my God, he's going to lose all of his teeth. He's going to be the stinky breath kid. He's going to have no friends. He's going to never go to the dentist. He's going to have a mouthful of cavities and root canals and getting his teeth pulled. And it's like, all of a sudden I'm 20 years deep in this argument. Why can't it just be right now? His capacity right now, tonight, my capacity right now, tonight, what is the benefit of letting him drop this and going to bed on time in pajamas, in a happy mood? well rested for tomorrow for his first day of kindergarten. That's the priority, not this stupid punitive teeth brushing. And listen, I, I love going to the dentist. I love taking care of my teeth. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying this is not it tonight. And he knows like it doesn't, it has no bearing on the goodness of me or the, the effectiveness of me as a mom. Mm-hmm. I'm not going like, oh, I suck at being a mom because I just let him do whatever. No, that's not true. I made a very calculated decision that I'm going to choose to not make this a bigger deal than it needs to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I want to speak to all of the parents who are not saying one night, you know, you don't have to brush your teeth who are faced with such difficulty with their kids and where the reaction and the the harm to the relationship is so severe Mm -hmm. that they're choosing to say, Hey, you don't need to brush your teeth 
tonight or tomorrow. I want to speak to the families of the kids who haven't brushed their teeth for a year. Right. The ones who are melting down all day, every day, who, right. Picky eating is a really big one. Like never wants to eat the vegetable or never wants to do the thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Who? Yeah. Kids who cannot eat, who are struggling to even my son can't attend school. Mm. Um, there are kids who are attacking their parents and doing real damage to their homes. Like these are stories that are so siloed and silenced and stigmatized. And the parents are so judged and shamed and, and isolated that their, their stories don't even, they don't even show up in our dominant parenting culture. And as a, as someone who's lived that, that this is our story. Mm. What I faced was so dramatic and challenging. It gave me post-traumatic stress disorder and I had a breakdown. It was so difficult. And I didn't know anyone else who had PTSD from parenting. I didn't even know that was possible. I didn't know that you could be a good mom and have a breakdown. I didn't know that your child could be wonderful and whole and attack you with every fiber of their being. And so I want to say that there are people who are experiencing parenting through such difficulty Mm. that we cannot ignore their cries anymore because they are not being, we are not being served. You, if you're listening, are not being served by the dominant parenting culture. This is not about control. You are not being permissive. It is not your fault. Mm. And there is a way forward that allows your child to be exactly who they are. That really is the core of low demand parenting is letting your kids be who they are and you take care of your own needs. Mm. That's the actual magic that happens behind the scenes. Mm. There are all these steps that you go through. I've I've outlined six steps. And I think it's really important to have steps because you you need to know where you are. You need to know you're on a path, that there's a way forward. Mm. And, And those six steps are practical and they're broken down and they matter. But beneath each one is this realization that you can meet your own needs while accepting your child right where they're at. Mm. Let's say your child isn't sleeping at all through the night or is refusing to, to go to bed at all, period. Let's say your child is refusing food or is a danger to themselves. And so you're having to lock up things in your home. There is a way that they can be there and you can still be okay. Mm. And there, and that there's no room for that story in a parenting culture that says parents need to be in charge that says this is a matter of, of lack of discipline. Mm. It's not, it's not that. And so for everybody who has really struggled and suffered, I want you to know that you can find a home. You can find a parenting community that understands you that is the centerpiece of what seems to draw people to the low demand approach. Mm-hmm. Although I believe it's for everyone. I believe it's for every child. 
the ones who need it the most are the ones who are getting the harshest punishments, who are are getting the the suspensions from school. Those are the kids who most need this radical grace and understanding and acceptance for right where they are because they're too hard is really, really big right now. And they need to be given, they need to be let off the hook in a lot of places so that they can get back to that that core competency of like, I can handle this. They're so far from what they can handle that they really need to be nurtured back into a place of safety so that they can start to move their way forward out of their own autonomy. And that's what low demand parenting can offer. It it, it can stretch across the whole spectrum from a toddler that's just having a hard time today to a teenager who can't attend school because of of their behaviors Mm -hmm. and that's there's not many places in the in the parenting world where everybody can belong and this is a darn big tent and there's room for everybody I love that I love it because I guess what I'm hearing is just you can own your story you can allow your story it's not wrong. <laughs> it's just maybe not talked about as much or it's not as widely understood, but it's not a bad story. It, you can be, you can live it. You can embrace it. You can let go and dive into it. You can love your kid regardless of, you know, how they fit into society and whether it's a lovable behavior, <laughs> you, you know, it, you can support and love your child through it. You're allowed to decide what is too hard. You're allowed to embrace what is too hard and let it change everything. You're allowed to do that. You know, if you allow yourself to do that, you're allowed to reinvent what the box looks like or shatter the box or do, you know, like, like you said, come to our tent, you know, like, and, and that's the thing, the beauty of it too, is like, when I found this approach, my judgment on everybody else and everybody else's struggles and children became so much less. And I'm going to even go one step further and say that my son's judgment on people's behaviors has become so much less. Just today, there was a story about, you know, at school, something that happened with a child. And he said something to me along the lines of, you know, he was having a big feeling he was really struggling or something like that versus he's bad. And he said to me, you know, someone said that he's not going to have friends, but, um, but I, I talked to him and I said, hi or something. And I'm not saying this to make my son seem like this martyr. The point is he's able to see this is this person's thing. It's not my thing. They're having a feeling they're going through an experience that is their own. I'm having my own. It is not good. It is not bad. It just is. It's just different. He's struggling. I struggle sometimes. And then when he struggles, he's like, oh, today I'm struggling. And it's, and it's a non-shameful thing because we've never said, you know, get it, you know, go to your room, get out of here because I can't look at you when you're like this. It's like, okay, we're rolling with this. This is where we are today. We're checking in, you know? Um, but yeah, I love that freedom to just dive in. I feel like the permission you just gave is going to be so profound for people that are just holding themselves to standards that when you really look at them, are these your standards? Are these things that feel good to you? Because I know for me, I had this feeling and yes, I'm very 
intuitive and that type of thing sensitive. But like, there was so many times, like when I was a new mom that I was like, that doesn't even, I don't even care about that. Why am I making this such a big deal? Like my, my son loves to be naked. And for a long time, I was like, oh, you have to wear clothes and we have to close the blinds and we have to do it. And I'm like, I don't care. Why am I making this a thing? I don't care about this. Is he happy and healthy? Like, I don't care if he's naked. I don't care what he's doing. You know, it's just, it's just interesting. Cause when you start to lower something small, you kind of see, like, it kind of pulls the rug out from the whole operation. You're kind of like, does this, does this really matter? Is this the thing that matters right now? I don't know. Um, but I, yeah. And, and when you adapted to this, so let's say someone's listening to this conversation right now and they're like, I agree. I totally agree. This would give me so much relief. Where can they begin? Is there like a, a step one? Is there like a first thing to drop? Is there like a mind mm-hmm. shift? Is like, where do you, where do you coach people when they need this approach? And they're like, I'm all in now. What, what is, and, and also, is it too late? I know people are listening going, Oh, my kid's 10. Is it too late for me? Yeah, it's not too late that I know for sure, because dropping demands for myself has healed my relationship to myself and I'm 40. So it's that at 10 is a beautiful time to start Mm. at 18 is a beautiful time to start. 25 is a great time to start. There is no bad starting point. And uh, a lot of people like to start with big stuff. I have noticed. Um, So many people's stories end up starting with like, yeah, I decided to start drop screen time limits. That was my first big drop. Or, um, I, we dropped school. We decided to let my kid drop out of school and that's when everything started. Things tend to kind of break open for families in these big ways. But if I'm coaching somebody, if they're showing up saying, I want to do this, I, I don't think you start with something really big. I actually think starting small is the best way in because the little moments like a popsicle moment, like a, it's time to put your clothes on moment, a put your shoes on moment. Those are times when you can really drill into, as you said, why does this matter to me? And more importantly, what am I going to teach my child by letting this go? Mm. One practical story for us, my oldest is the sweetest kiddo. And I just love to smell his hair and kiss his cheek. That would be like heaven for me to be able to do that. He does not like to be touched and kisses are the worst thing. So I, that's why I say it that way. Like I fantasize about getting to like nestle. (laughs) It just would be so sweet. Um, and so I used to, every night when I would leave, I would want to hug and kiss him and, and I wouldn't, and I would drop it but I dropped it and I felt so sad. Like what's going to happen in his future if he can't be hugged and what kind of mom doesn't hug her son good night or all of these kinds of things. And eventually I turned it around and I said, what is he learning by me dropping this expectation that I would hug him and kiss him good night? Well, he's learning that his body matters, that his preferences and needs are important and deserve to be told. And that the people who love him most will always respect his autonomy, that no one will cross his boundaries in the name of love and that he gets to say 
what feels good. And yeah, he's 10, but in very few years, he's going to be a teenager. And the, the things that he is learning every night, as I say, good night in the way that he chooses are directly the skills that are going to serve him as he enters into relationships with other humans who, who he needs to tell that he doesn't like what he does and doesn't like. Um, so I would say if you're starting out, start with something small. I mean, whether you hug your child, good night is still in the small category and ask yourself, what are they learning by me letting this go? And if that aligns with your deep values, with what you want for your child to be the kind of human they want, you want them to be in the world, then you're on the right track. Drop it wholeheartedly. Don't hold on to any piece of it. Let it all the way go, knowing that you are surrounding them with the kind of love that they deserve. And that comes really organically and authentically out of you. And then let that build into another thing and another thing and another thing, each one motivated by what are they learning by me letting this go? How does this express my love to them by letting this go? That leads to the kind of vibrant low demand relationship that doesn't happen with like um, resentment or frustration mm-hmm. that can often build up, but instead it comes, it, it builds trust and it builds connection, which trust and connection are the absolute core of, of the whole process. So that's how I would say to start is pick something really, really small and then practice letting it go and see what happens next. Oh, that was such a good example. That was such a good example. And there's so much reflection as the adult in that situation to look and go like, why is this important to me? What does this mean for me? (laughs) Like you said, like the instant shame spiral of like, what kind of mother doesn't kiss her son? He's never going to know love and affection or whatever. Like, and no, you stay present and focused and dialed in on what the priority is. And it might not feel how, you know, like it might hurt a little bit in your adult self, but then that's a spot that's like a magnifying glass onto a wound that you need tending to. That's mm-hmm. not your child's job. You know, that's the hard truth, right? It's like, why do I feel like this hug means more than just, you know, me respecting my son? And again, that's unconditional love. That's putting them first and saying, I hear you. I see you. You don't like that. And I got you. Because anybody who is worth being in your life will respect your body. And I got you, you know, and it starts here. That is just huge. I just like full goosebumps, can't even handle it. Um, One more question for you. And then we can obviously go because this is getting crazy long because I could just talk to you forever. I feel like I've already committed. Like, I'm like, okay, I got to sign up for coaching. Got it. (laughs) I love that. That would be so. Um, Just, yeah, totally loving it. Um, Okay we know there's going to be kickback. There's going to be the people. I mean, for me, I'm just like, Oh God, all the old schoolers, all of all the boomers out there that are going to say, what are you doing? You know, your kid's never going to respect. You don't make them say please. And thank you. They're never going to learn respect. Oh, they just, you know, they just throw their toys when they're mad. Oh, you're just gonna let them do that. No one's gonna ever want to play with them. How do you either, do you have 
a synopsis that you share? Do you decide not to engage? Do you, um, what's the mantra in your head that gets you through those hard moments when you feel so misunderstood? I mean, anything you can offer in that moment, because I know every parent has been in this situation. Yeah. Uh, I would come back to the parent and sit first with why does this hurt? And what do you need from this relationship? What need do you have that's not being met right now? Because probably what's happening is that you have a deep need for acceptance and for being seen and you are feeling rejected and unseen. And so from that place of feeling rejected and unseen, you are going to hustle and you are going to prove and do a song and dance to show, look, I'm the greatest parent in the world. I can meet all the expectations that you have when one of the greatest freedoms that I have found in being a low demand parent is knowing in my deep place that this is right for us and that no one in the whole world can convince me otherwise, nor do I, do I care what anyone will say? Realizing that I am shame proof in this place because my family is thriving and this and I am thriving. That has given me so much courage to head out into the world with our little band of, of wildlings, as <laughs> people say, and um, and and be who we are. And it also, um, ironically, has been really transformative for those close relationships in my life where somebody's judgment or distancing might do the most harm. Because when I show up really wholehearted confident and certain that this is right for us, people tend to be intrigued mm. and curious. And the, the openings are more genuine and they, and they're asking, I don't get how this works mm. rather than, aren't they going to get screwed up one day? Yeah. Uh, so I find that the questions are shifting and I will say that we get judgment. I, I get judgment. And so what I, my mantra is that the people that I want in my life are at least going to be curious. Mm. If people are not at least curious, then they're not my people. And that I can handle any, any curious openness is perfect for me. That, that is great. Nobody, they don't need to be aligned. They don't need to do this themselves. They just need to be open. And and I can see openness in the tiniest of cracks. Like mm-hmm. I'm a true optimist. Um, and in that I'm like a light seeker, like I can see any little glimmer, but if what I'm seeing is a closed off wall, then that's not my people. Mm-hmm. It's not my problem. Mm-hmm. And my family is thriving. Oh, if I had a mic right now, I would drop it, except this podcast would just end and there'd be an abrupt ending and it'd be awkward. But oh my God, if that is not just, I mean, like snaps to you, I like don't even know. That was just great. I, You're right. Because you're right. If there's someone that's willing to at least try to understand you, they're supporting in their own way and they might get there. And 
you almost being like, to me, I'm picturing, I'm so, so, so visual. If, you know, most people who listen to the podcast already know that because I'm like the queen of analogies. But I feel <laughs> like I am, um, it's like, I'm picturing you like standing in your force field, like almost like a, like a lighthouse or something. And you're like looking for who, like, who can I be the beacon for? Like when I stand in this truth and own it, even if there's one person that feels validated by like, they're doing it too, or I could let that go. Like that's it. Right. Even this conversation, even every person who hears it, except for one person wants to like delete it and throw it into the garbage. That's fine. Because if there's one person that's like, oh my God, I needed this message. This makes, gives me permission, but standing in that truth and and realizing I don't need to win you over. (laughs) I don't need to convince you. The convincing is in my peace. It's in the peace in my household. It's in the love and respect that we share in my family. Um, It's in the autonomy that my son feels and the autonomy that I preserve for him so fiercely. Um, and anything that feels otherwise, you're right. It's, it's a me problem. It's a, it's a, it's a mom. It's me as a mother seeking approval, seeking friendship, even like feeling lonely and wanting to find your people, but you can't make someone your person if they're not, mm-hmm. you know, if they're going to judge you, you don't want them there anyway. So just go and, and with love, go do you then. And live your life the way that's aligned with you. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge you for that. And I respect, or I expect that you would not judge me for that. Mm-hmm. We can both be doing our own thing in our own lane. And all I'm asking for is just for some respect, you know? Um, oh God, I could just talk to you forever. I seriously feel like I could like, pick your brain a thousand times over. But like I said, we could do this again sometime or I am going to join coaching, which brings me to my next point. People are like, where can I find her? give me all the goods. What does she got? Throw it at me. What can people, you know, I know you have your link tree and there's different links on there. Your coach, like, tell us where we can find more of this. Right. Well, I'm pretty wide open. So, um, I always tell my coaching clients that you're always going to get all of me. And so I show up with, um, my background, which I didn't mention at the outset, but I'm a trained pastor. So I, um, I also show up with, um, an ability to move into deep spirituality with people for whom that's a key piece of their life. Um, I also believe very strongly in autonomy and spirituality. And so I also work very well with clients who don't want to bring up the word God at all that very much speaks to them, to my belief system and aligns with it. So I have a lot of room in, um, the way the, the number of levels and layers that we can go to in coaching is kind of limitless. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that said, when you find me at low demand, Amanda, I am sharing information and, um, offering, and I do a lot of coaching in my direct messages. Ah. So do, um, and that's just for free because I want to, yeah. um, <laughs> and cause I love to connect. Um, 
I also do once a week, a day in the life where I tell all the stuff that I'm doing all day long. And I have heard from my readers that that is one of the most transformative pieces of what I'm offering. So I'd love to have you show up on Instagram and follow along. That's one of my favorite things you do. I love it. It's a wonderful example of how the low demand approach takes shape as well, because it really does meet my need. One of my central needs is to feel seen Mm -hmm. in my daily life. And so in a wonderful way, I'm being seen by hundreds of people and that really works for me. If it wasn't meeting my need, I wouldn't be doing it. Um, Then for people who want to go deeper, especially with community and connection, I have a Patreon community that is growing and incredible. The other families in this group are beyond belief cool. And I feel really treasured to be a part of their number. Um, So that group is um, through patreon.com and you can find me at Amanda Diekman there. You can also find me on Facebook, sharing some of the same information and engaging. So if that's your primary home, a lot of groups live on Facebook. So feel free to share information that way. Mm -hmm. And then for the people who want to go all the way, (laughs) I love to do one-on-one coaching, um, which is really my favorite way because I'm a Mm one-on-one person. Um, That's where I thrive. And, um, the best way to kick off a low demand approach is actually to combine the online course that I've created. That is a really short and digestible amount of information with coaching because the course offers all of the information, but the coaching offers the transformation where you can take those ideas and place them in the concrete realities of your life. So that's the best way to go from I'm curious and I want more, or my life is insanely crazy and awful. And I need something different wherever you're coming from. It offers you the fastest way into a new lifestyle. Ah, That is all um, available for you to access both through Instagram and through my website, amandadiekman.net. You can also read my writing there. I have a book coming out called Low Demand Parenting, where I walk readers through the full, both my personal story and the practical. It'll come out in 2023. I'm sure we can add more information when it's out. Um, And I also love to write more personal reflective pieces. And so you get kind of that side of my brain um, through my website. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know about the book. That's amazing. You're doing so much. Look at you go. I do it it, while I'm homeschooling my kids and no big deal. (laughs) Building meltdowns and it really, it really fits um, into the the lifestyle that we've created. And, um, and that's again, the low demand approach that I've dropped all the things that don't bring me life. And then there's room for a lot of stuff that does. Oh, great. So great. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being such an inspiration. That was just amazing. 
Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know it was a long one. I know, you know, you know me, never one to uh, skimp on the words. But man, I felt like it was so jam-packed full of knowledge and insight and new ideas and really beautiful reframing. And I just hope that even if you only latched onto one piece, one small piece that you can incorporate, or even just for yourself to lower demands on yourself and kind of find ways to trim the fat and let your life flow with a little bit more ease and less resistance. I hope you can do that. I hope that you can open your mind and try it out. I know that for my son, and again, like someone who is neurodivergent, um, getting really clear on, you know, the priorities and the have tos and dropping a lot of it and leading with trust in him and trust in our, our path and my parenting and our connection has just really transformed things. And I think especially in these last couple months where life has just exploded and we have felt so busy and with the mainstream demands of schooling now with him in kindergarten and, you know, it's a whole different time than like a year ago when I started this podcast. Like since then I've gone back to work, I've, I've started my own business and he's just growing up and some of the, you know, along with that, you know, people always say like bigger kids, bigger problems, you know, if you want to say it that way, but like him getting older and just learning him on in different ways as he's growing and in the school system and extracurricular stuff and just all the different stuff, all the different demands. And it's one of those things that I'm realizing, like, you know, as children grow up, as we grow up, even if you're not a parent yourself, like demands are ever changing and they're always going to be there and they're going to be different in every season of life. And they're going to be you know, different priorities depending on what's going on. And I think this framework that we can revisit and listen to so many great nuggets that Amanda shared, um, it's just so valuable. So I'm really hoping that that resonated for you. I would love to hear, you know, on social media, if you want to shoot me a DM or, you know, comment on the latest post of how this landed for you and like what kind of low demand approaches you can start implementing in your life. I would love to hear that. Um, again, if you can share this with people that you think would find value in it, if you can share it on social media, if you can rate it or leave a review, that would be fantastic just so we can get the word out there and, and, and really get this ball rolling again. Because like I said earlier, I'm just so happy to be connecting with you all really being here, chatting with the experts, chatting with you all on social media, sharing what's on my heart and finding like-minded community with other parents or people that are wanting to grow up themselves and do the internal work is really my passion. It really lights me up inside and finally being able to carve out the time to get back to it um, just feels like home and it feels like just a big soul hug. So thank you all for being here. Thank you all for, you know, taking this time to listen and open your hearts to the messages that we are sharing on this platform because it means more than I could ever say. Um, make sure you reach out and follow Amanda. She's incredible. 
Um, as always, if you have anything to share, anything to add, anything you want to question or comment on, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find me on Instagram at grow.up.ig or also through email at thegrowuppod at gmail.com. And I'm realizing that the demand that was hovering over me to get an episode every two weeks felt hard, um, especially now, like I said, back to work, having my own business, etc. So I don't know that it's going to be an every two week thing. I think it might be around that time frame because that's kind of like what I would like to do. But I think it's going to be a little bit more sporadic than that. So I'm not going to say, you know, every two weeks on a Monday. I'm just going to say maybe every month and kind of when I, when I get around to it and get inspired and can check back in. So definitely stay tuned for the next episode. I will not be gone as long as before. And I can't wait to connect again. Until then, keep doing the hard work. You're doing an awesome job. And we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Oh, 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 oh,